Well, Happy New Year, Fairhaven Church. Great to see you. Thank you for being here. I want to welcome all of our campuses with us. If you don't know, if you're a guest with us, we are one church, one community that meets in a variety of different locations. And so uh, we have a campus in Springboro. I want to say Happy New Year to you, Springboro. Happy New Year to you, Beaver Creek. Happy New Year to you, Northmont Classics, and all of you that are right here at Centerville. Great to have you. If you are a guest, my name is David. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. It's really, really good to have you here as we begin this new year. I'm happy that I have some guests with me here today. My sister and her grandson is here. And so I'm glad that she's here visiting with us and we get to spend some time with her. So thank you for being here. We're starting a brand new series and the series is entitled Turn the Page because we're starting a brand new year and so what does it look like for us to turn the page of a new year? 2024. I mean, just the number alone helps us to realize that it's all about Jesus because the number 2024 is about how Jesus really split uh, time. And so every single day, as you write things or as you sign documents or as you send an email or you know, text message of some kind, it's on a day that is represented by a number and that's 2024. And that number 2024 helps us to remind ourselves every single day of who Jesus is. And so I hope that you'll uh, see that as we begin this new series. We're actually gonna be in an Old Testament book called Ruth. Um, short book, about four chapters long, not about four chapters long. And so I'm going to encourage you over the next three weeks, we're going to look at this little book and we're going to learn from the story because this story is a micro story to a macro um, story. And I want to show you that in just a little bit, but I, I hope that you'll read it. It takes about 25 minutes to read the entire book of Ruth. There's so much in there. Some people say it's a love story and certainly there is a love story to it, but I'd say it's much better than that actually. Uh, even though a love story is awesome. I think there's something in there that we can learn as we begin a new year and think about our own spiritual lives as we watch this young family and old lady and as they get into you know their lives and what happens and so forth. And so I hope you'll track with us on that. You know, as you start a new year, many of us uh, are thinking about resolutions. I did some research because I was wondering about resolutions and Forbes did a survey and discovered in 2024 that about 45% of people will make resolutions in the new year. So that's less than half of us are going to make a resolution, which is pretty amazing. And I think the reason for that is, is because a lot of us know that if you do a resolution or make a resolution, the likelihood of you continuing it is really low. In fact, I'm going to give you a chance to see how low it really is uh, today. Everybody gets to participate. But what's really interesting is that the age group, 19 to 34 year olds are the most likely age group to set uh, a resolution. I thought that was kind of interesting. So if you're between 19 and 34, chances are you may a resolution, way to go. I uh, hope it's a good one. In fact, we're going to suggest over these next three weeks that all of us make a spiritual resolution um, because of the fact that in the survey, it said that if you make a resolution, you typically don't make one, you make three which I thought was really interesting given the fact that this series is three uh, weeks long and we're gonna look at the story of Ruth uh, in the book of Ruth and I'm gonna encourage you to make three spiritual resolutions over these next three weeks and so I thought that was pretty interesting. But here's something that you can uh, process with me a little bit. What percentage of people actually keep the resolutions after three months? I'm going to give you four options, and you get to turn to the person next to you, or you can scream it out if you want. If you're online joining us, uh, by the way, welcome. We're glad to have you. I know some in Florida, uh, other places in the country are joining us. So what percentage of people keep their resolution? Is it 7%? Is it 18%? Is it 1%? Or is it 26%? 
All right, turn to the person next to you and see if you can tell them what you think it is. And then I'm gonna give you an opportunity to vote with, uh, you know, by raised hand and all of our campuses here. What percentage of people keep their resolutions after three months of making one? Now, the, I guess the critical uh, or the, you know, the, the reality is after three months, all right? So here we go. How many of you said 7% and all of our campuses? Raise your hand, let's see. Okay, here at the Centerville campus, a fair amount of you, okay? How many of you said 18%? Okay, less of you said 18%. How many of you said 1%? Wow, more of you said 1%, okay. Uh, how about 26%, 26%, not too many uh, took the 26%, about four of you, if I can see here at the Centerville campus, I don't know about you there online, it is 1%. I mean, we are terrible at this, uh, folks. And so, um, I'm not even sure we should do this series because you're not gonna keep them. Um, that's not good. So. Here we go, anyway, we're gonna to try to make some resolutions and see if we can keep them, maybe we'll talk about them. And one thing that would be real helpful is actually if you communicate um, with the loved ones that you have or friends, if you're married, of course your spouse and maybe your small group um, of these resolutions that we're gonna be talking about today. And so let me start off as we are thinking about the book of Ruth and the story of Ruth, let me start off by telling you that as we turn the page to a new year, I've got great news for you. And the news is this, that God has made a resolution to you. When we think of resolutions, we don't often think of God making a resolution to us. We often think of us making a resolution. And by the way, most of them are dealing with our health. You know, you're gonna exercise more, you're gonna eat less, all those kinds of things. Or you're gonna make a resolution about your finances or a relationship. Those are really the top three usually. What would it be like if I encourage you with the fact that God wants to make a resolution to you? And the story of Ruth really is the case study for that. Because here's what we'll learn as we go through and read the story. Today, chapter one, to be exact, we'll learn this, that God has resolved. He makes a resolution. God has resolved to create something great from our ordinary lives. The way your life becomes extraordinary is not because you are known, not because you get a better job, not because your portfolio gets deeper and better, it's because of God wanting to do great things in your life. He makes every ordinary lives extraordinary because he is resolved to do that and he wants to do that every single year. And the way that that happens is by us following in obedience with him as we have this relationship with him. And as we do that, he wants to do great things. God is resolved to create great things in our everyday ordinary lives. That's encouraging. As we think about a new year, as we turn the page, as we, um, you know, as we sign things with a new number 24, it's absolutely incredible. Grab your Bibles uh, or your devices and power up or turn with me to Ruth chapter one. Ruth is in the Old Testament. It's four chapters long, as I mentioned to you. And it's really interesting is that Ruth comes right after the book of Judges. And you'll see that why that's interesting in just a little bit. Ruth chapter one, I encourage you, if you have a paper version, to use that little thingy. I don't know what they call that, but that little thingy in your Bible, you know that little strip that you have there? Just mark your Bibles, if you will. Or if you have a device, just bookmark it. Um, because we're going to be here for the next three weeks. And so, again, I hope you'll read it and follow along. Ruth, Ruth chapter one, let me begin by reading it for you. And we're not going to get past the first phrase because the first phrase really is the crawl uh, before the movie. It's the backstory to the story. Here's what it says in Ruth chapter one, verse one. In the days when the judges ruled, 
You know, I've read the story of Ruth many times. I'm sure you have as well. And hopefully you'll find something and discover something new because that's what scripture is, isn't it? You can read the same passage of scripture over and over and over again. And it's amazing how God can tell you something different based on your experience, based on where you're at, based on what you need in your life. And I have read over this phrase every single time I have read the book of Ruth until I began to really ask, why is that there? Let me read it for you again. Here it is, Ruth chapter one, verse one. In the days when the judges ruled. And so what we learn here right away is that the book of Judges that comes before Ruth is the macro story and the book of Ruth is the micro story of one family. And so what we're going to read is the experience of one family that fits in the macro story. Of course, then the question is, what's the macro story? If you read the book of Judges over and over and over again, we're confronted with the cycle of unfaithfulness. And especially when you get to the very end of the book of Judges, it tells us that Judges chapter 21 verse 25 says that everyone did what was right in their own eyes. In other words, people went through life and said, you know, it doesn't seem like God is paying attention. It doesn't seem like God really cares. Um, I'm just going to do my own thing. I mean, the world tells us that you're in charge of your own destiny. Um, you've got to make your own destiny work. And so um, everybody was doing whatever they wanted to do. And so everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And the end of Judges tells us about this cycle that took place over and over and over again in the book of Judges. In fact, if you want to write it down, it happened seven times over a 300-year period. So for 300 years, the people of God did the same exact thing and found themselves in a cycle which, newsflash, is still happening today in my life and in your life. And so what would it be like as we start the year, turn the page into a new year, that we were at least aware of it and we made a resolution to say, you know what, I'm going to do something about that. I want God to do something in my life to see if I can get on the right side of that cycle. Seven times over 300 uh, years, this is what happened in the book of Judges. Let me show you the cycle. The cycle of unfaithfulness goes something like this. Um, God's people, they do whatever they want for a variety of reasons, because things aren't going well or because God doesn't seem to be blessing them the way that they want God to bless them or because they just don't trust God in the moment, whatever it might be, uh, God's people do what they want. So then God brings discipline and the word discipline is a very big word, meaning that it could be like consequences. How many of you know that our actions have consequences? right? And so it could just be consequences that God allows consequences. It could be that God just says, okay, have it your way. And so then we find ourselves in all kinds of trouble and we find ourselves in, in, you know, in thick and mud of all the things that we do because we just do what we want to do. And so the number three in the cycle that God's people cry out for mercy. Don't raise your hand, but how many of you in the year 2023 have said, God, I really need your help on this one? Because you've come to the end of yourself, you've come to the end of your rope, you have nowhere else to turn, and you turn to God and you cry out and you ask for his mercy. Here's the best part. The best part about this is that God always responds. The fourth part of the cycle is that God responds with grace, as he always does, because God's a God of grace. So if you're here today 
and you're exploring faith and you would say, you know, I'm not yet a believer. You came on a great week because here's what you need to know. The grace of God has made everything available to you. There's nothing that you need to do um, in order to be right enough in God's eyes. He did all the work. All you need to do is invite him into your life. Surrender to him. That's an amazing invitation and an amazing gift that he gives to us. And so God responds with grace uh, to rescue his people. And in the book of Judges, let me tell you how he does that. He raises up leaders. Judges. Judges meaning that they were, they were trying to help people to understand what was right and wrong in life. Truth of the matter is, I think if we're honest with ourselves, most of us, because we have consciences and because the Spirit of God lives inside of us, we know what's right and wrong. But oftentimes, in community, that's why we need each other, in community, we need to agree, yeah, that's probably not the best thing to do. We probably need to change that in our lives. And so community is very powerful in this. And so seven times they go through this cycle in the book of Judges and seven times God rescues them because he raises up these leaders, these judges who helps them and rescues them. Now, what's really important though is to stop here for a minute and make sure that we're all on the same page. Because when you look at this cycle of unfaithfulness, God's people do what they want. There's discipline. And then we cry out to God and God rescues us because he's a God of grace, and we just go back and forth around that cycle, it's very easy, watch this, it's very easy to assume that God's loyalty to me is based on my behavior. That's a really dangerous place to be. So I want to make sure that that's very clear here today as we start this year, as we look at this story, because in the first paragraph of Ruth, we learn that it's found, this story, this micro story is found in the macro story of God's people doing this cycle all over things. And it's very important for us because it's easy to assume that if I just do the right things, that God will bless me. In fact, you read through the Bible, you'll discover that the Bible is very clear that obedience brings blessing. Have you ever heard that before? The problem with that is, even though as it's true as it is, that we can make an assumption, it's a bad assumption, and the assumption is, is that God's loyalty to me is based on my behavior. In other words, if I just do the right things and God will love me and he will bless me, I'm here to tell you that that couldn't be further from the truth. God always desires to bless us. What we need to understand is that when we follow in obedience, catch this, that's how we experience God's blessing. And so when you do your own thing, you're the one, I'm the one that walks away from experiencing God's blessing. He wants to, but it's obedience that causes that. And so if you remember anything at all today, I'm going to give you this one statement that comes out of Ruth chapter 1, or at least the story of Ruth chapter 1. I'm going to come back to it at the end, and I'm going to ask you a question as we start off this year making a resolution in our life. And here's the statement. As we read the story of Ruth, what we're going to discover together is this, that my loyalty to God is the path for me to encounter God's loyalty. When you and I are devoted to God and we make a decision as we turn the page in our life, as we turn that page and start a brand new year, if we're devoted to God and if we're loyal to God, it's how we will experience, that's the pathway for you and I to experience God's loyalty in our life because he desires to do it no matter what. 
But that's how we'll experience it in our life. And so you'll see that here today. And at the very end, as I mentioned, I'm gonna ask you a question which hopefully will lead into a resolution that you and I can make. All right, let's read on. Ruth chapter one, verse one, it says this. In the days when the judges ruled, can you see now why there's so much there in that paragraph? It's unbelievable, actually. In the days when the judges ruled, there was famine in the land. And so a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn, or he went to another land. He went to figure his, his life out. He wanted to do what he wanted to do. There's so much you could read in that word. He went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife was Naomi, and the names of his sons were Maholan and Kilian. That's how you pronounce that. Maholan and Kilian. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died. And she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The names of the one was Orpah, not to be confused with Oprah. (laughs) Orpah, and the name of the other was Ruth the namesake of the book that we're reading. They lived there about 10 years and both Mehlon and Kilian died so that the women was left with her two sons and her husband, was with, without um, with her two sons and her husband. So the story starts out. The story starts out that this couple, um, Elimelech and Naomi, were living in Bethlehem, which is called the House of Bread, um, because God always provides, and so it's the House of Bread. Bethlehem's a really important city. We just celebrated a lot of what took place in Bethlehem in the last month. And, and so they were living in Bethlehem, and a famine broke out. Now, why do you think a famine broke out? Well, here's why. Because they were going through the seasons of this, you know, this uh, cycle of unfaithfulness. And so let me show you where they were in the cycle at Ruth chapter one in the verse five verses of where they were in that cycle. They were in a cycle where God was disciplining, where there were consequences, right? And so here they were, um, this micro story of Ruth and his family. They were there and they moved to Moab. And so Moab was the enemies of Israel Moabs were a people group who worshiped gods, lowercase g. That's gonna come uh, important as we read on in the story here. They wanted nothing to do with the Moabites because of who they worshiped and the way they lived out their lives and so forth. It was really hard to pursue God living in Moab, but they moved to Moab. Here's why they moved to Moab, because there was a famine. And so because they had to be in charge of their own destiny, um, they decided we should move to Moab. Maybe there's something better there. Maybe there's food there. Maybe there's something there because God is obviously not providing for us here. And so they moved there. And we see that after they had been there, this couple, Elimelech and Naomi, Elimelech passed away. And you might be asking, well, why did he pass away? Well, we're not told, but we can reasonably deduce that he probably passed away because he was old and, um, and he, was, you know, he was just an aging life. And we know that because Naomi says later on in the story that she was old. And so maybe that's the reason. And they had two sons, Maholan and Kilian. And Maholan and Kilian, living in Moab, were there. And of course, they were you know, hanging out, going to school perhaps, or, or involved in activities. Who knows what's going on? And they discovered these two ladies that were Moabites. 
And the Bolomites, as I mentioned, worshiped other gods. And they got married. And so we see uh, in, the, in the story here that um, Maholan married Ruth and Killian married Orpah. Ten years go by, so they're in Moab, ten years because of the famine that was taking place in Israel. Ten years go by, Elimelech has passed away, and all of a sudden the two boys pass away, Maholan and Killian. Life is really hard. Now be very careful here that you don't inject more meaning than is really what's in the story here. What we learn here is that the cycle of unfaithfulness is true. That if we say, you know what, I just want to do whatever I want to do, God will bring discipline or he allows consequences or he allows situations and circumstances uh, in their life. And they were at a really, really low point in their life. I mean, the question might be, why did the two sons die? Well, if you look at their names and what their names mean, that might help us. Because, you know, in the Old Testament and even in the New Testament, um, children were given names based on very, very important realities in their life. And even throughout history, and even today, uh, some of us name our children based on biblical names, such as James, or David, or Paul, or Matthew, Samuel, Mark. And if you look at the names, I've done the work here, so let me give it to you. Mehalon means sickly, or weak. And Killian's name means weakly, or dying. <laughs> So it doesn't take a rocket science, you know, a scientist to understand where this story is going. No shocker there that these two sons uh, pass away as well. As hard as it is, maybe that's the reason that they were here. And then we get to verse six. Then she, that's Naomi, arose with her daughter-in-laws in return from the country of Moab. So they were in Moab for 10 years all the men pass away. And these three ladies were there by themselves. And it's unbelievable what takes place here. And so it says there that they wanted to return from the country of Moab. Here's why. Because she, Naomi, heard that in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So where do you think they were on the cycle of unfaithfulness? Well, let me show you. The people in Israel, they had cried out to God because they were in the cycle, and God heard their cry, as he always does, and he rescues them and provides food for them. Naomi heard this while they were living in Moab, and she heard about all that God was doing, and no, no doubt in her mind, she's like, yeah, you know what, I should have stayed there. Um, that's, that's home for me. That's where, that's where we worship God, not here in Moab, and so I probably should go back. I got these daughter-in-laws, though. What are we going to do here in this situation? And so on the map, we see here that they went back to Bethlehem. They were on their way back to Bethlehem, and they found themselves in the cycle of unfaithfulness where God is responding with grace to rescue his people. And then Naomi says something to these daughter-in-laws. Let's take a look. Verse six again. Then she rose with her daughter-in-laws to return to the, from the country of Moab. And she'd heard in the fields of Moab, while she's at work, she heard that God is doing great things in Israel. So, verse seven, so she set out from the place where she was with her two daughter-in-laws and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But... Naomi said to her two daughter-in-laws, go return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. 
The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. Verse 10, and they said to her, no, 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 we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, verse 11, turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go on your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? The answer is no. Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No. My daughters, for it's exceedingly bitter for me for your sake, and the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, see, um, your sister-in-law, because Ruth went back, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her God's lowercase g. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death parts me from you. And then Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her and she said, no more. So Naomi got to the place where she was working there in Moab, apparently, and uh, probably trying to earn a living of some kind. And she heard that back in Israel, that God was at work again. So she thought, I got to go back, but I got these two daughter-in-laws. And so she said to her daughter-in-laws, you guys need to stay here. I mean, your families are here um, and you, you don't need to come with me. And it says in there that they, you know, the, their voices were heard loudly, which, which just means they cried out loud. It wasn't like some tear that just trickled down their cheek. I mean, they were weeping. Uh, they had gone through a lot together. And how many of you know that when you go through a lot with somebody, it cements a relationship? I mean, you, when you suffer together, there's a lot that happens in that relationship. And so Naomi and Ruth and Orpah, they were there. And so Naomi says, no, 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 really, go back to your families. Go back to your, this is your hometown. This is where you live. And so Orpah decided that she's going to stay. And so again, she kisses Naomi and they, they cry out loud. You can just hear the, you know, them crying out loud. She's going to say goodbye and probably never, ever see Naomi again, ever. And Ruth said, no, no, I'm going to go with you. Um, I really want to go with you. And, I, I, you know, your people are going to be my people. And wherever you go, I'm going to go. And there's, there's something in here that I really, really want you to pay attention to because as Ruth is speaking, she makes a comment that I haven't seen before until I was studying it again, and I want you to look at it with me in verse 17. This is what she says. May the Lord, that's capital L-O-R-D, may the Lord do so to me, and more, also if anything, but death parts me from you. In other words, Ruth had an encounter with God. The word Lord there, capital L-O-R-D, is the word Yahweh. So obviously Orpah went back to her family and worshiped her gods, lowercase g. But Ruth had an encounter with Yahweh. Ruth had an encounter with the Almighty, the one true God. And I wonder, because I have been taught, Ruth, that Ruth was just such a committed, devoted person, and she might have been, probably was, that she went with Naomi because she was such a committed, devoted person. I think it's better than that. 
I think Ruth went because Ruth had had an encounter with God and she wanted to break the cycle in her own life. She wanted to go and worship God. She wanted to honor God. She wanted to do the right things. And that meant going with Naomi. So she says, may the Lord work in my life and do to me unless death were to part from the two of us. Why, why would Naomi not want her daughter-in-laws to come? Well, one scholars would, some scholars would say it's because that, um, you know, there's an Israelite custom, and that's true, that if a woman's husband passed away, at that time, the custom was that a brother or the nearest relative would marry the widow in order to care for her and to love her. And uh, it's, it's a great thing uh, because now in the New Testament, now that we live in 2024, church, let me remind you, it's our job. It's our job to care for the widows and for those in our community who struggle and single moms. Single moms, if you're part of our church family, you need to know we want to take care of you. We want to be your family. Widows, we want to help you. We want to be your family. And that's, that's what's going on here. There's an Israelite custom. And Naomi was pretty clear that the name, the, the family name was not going to get carried on. So she says, stay there, stay there. You don't need to come. And hopelessness was there. And we learn an important lesson here. And I think one of the lessons that we learn from Naomi here is this, that as we enter into 2024, and as we consider how we can break the cycle of unfaithfulness, Let's make sure that we don't exaggerate our circumstances. When you read the story of Ruth, it seems like Naomi is just, I mean, there's a lot of pain there for sure. And I'm not, I'm not trying to make light of a loss of a husband or a loss of kids in life. That's really, really hard. But Naomi was bitter and she was hopeless. And let's not exaggerate. As we go through the next year, let's not exaggerate. As we turn the page, may we not exaggerate our circumstances. May we trust God because it was God who broke the famine in Israel. It was God who preserved a relative for Naomi when they get back in chapter two. We'll see that next week. It was God who helped Ruth to come to the place of faith in her life and want to follow Naomi. It was God all through this story. Her misery may have been one of the reasons why she told him not to come. I mean, after all, Naomi was, she was not in her hometown. There was a famine. She was a foreigner. She lost her husband. She lost her son. She was homesick. There may have been a lot of reasons why. But the story goes on, and as it starts to take a turn, it's awesome. Look at it with me, verse 19. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the woman said this, and, and the woman said, is this Naomi? They didn't even recognize her. I mean, life had been so hard. They didn't even recognize Naomi after 10 years. So she said to them, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara, which means bitter. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity, uh, calamity upon me? So Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem, and I love this statement, at the beginning of a barley harvest. At the beginning. The title of the message today is, At the Beginning. As we turn the page of a new year, as we think about a God who loves us and who's loyal to us no matter what, 
As we think about a cycle of unfaithfulness that happened for 300 years in the book of Judges, which still happens today, as we consider that the fact that the way for us to see and experience God's loyalty and devotion in our life is for us to be loyal and devoted to him, as we think through this statement, Ruth chapter 1 verse 22 says, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. They came back and they realized all that God had done. And we come to the most important, again, principle that we learn here. Church, take a screenshot of this or write this down. This is the screenshot which will lead into, or this, this is the principle that will lead us into a question. And that's this, our loyalty to God is a path for us to encounter God's loyalty. Your loyalty to God, my loyalty to God, is a pathway for us to encounter God's loyalty. So here comes the question. As we turn the page, what does loyalty to God look like for you? What would it be like if we made a resolution around that question? What does loyalty to God look like for you? Because you see, some of us need to leave Moab because we've been just doing things the way we want to. And you might have been experiencing consequences and discipline, who knows? Maybe some of us need to leave bitterness. Maybe some of us need to love unconditionally. Maybe we need to make a decision. We need to make a resolution. Maybe some of us need to embrace the circumstance that we find ourselves in right now and we need to trust God because our loyalty and devotion to God is how you will experience his loyalty to you in your life. Maybe it's a daily connection with God. Maybe you want to make a, a resolution because loyalty to you looks like, you know what, I want to make a daily connection with God. I want to make sure that every day, that's why we have an app actually, every day to maybe connect with God through prayer or reading so that you can connect with him in a situation. Maybe it's forgiveness. Loyalty may look like forgiveness to you. There's somebody that's been nagging you emotionally on the inside and it's time to turn the page on this year and loyalty looks like forgiving. Forgiveness. Loyalty may look like surrendering a nagging attitude in your life or perhaps it's choosing joy or trust in a certain situation as you're looking toward the future. I don't know what that is for you. What does loyalty look like for you? What does loyalty to God look like for you this year? I want to ask you to consider that question as we get into communion here. Hopefully you've gotten your elements online. We've asked you to get your elements of some kind, some, a piece of bread of some kind or a cup. Would you just grab these elements in all of our campuses? The campus pastors are going to come up in just a second on the campuses. But I want to talk about this for a second. I mean, it's our rhythm here at Fairhaven Church to have communion on the first Sunday of every single month. And we do that because it's pretty clear in Scripture that Jesus says, do this, help me out here if you know it, do this in remembrance of me. Church, we do communion not because it's our tradition, although we have a tradition. We do communion not because it's our ritual, although we have a ritual, we do communion because we want to remember. And the remember part is that every time we take communion, it gives us the opportunity to celebrate a resolution spiritually that you may want to make. What does loyalty to God look like for you? You can make that decision today. And every month we have communion, it can remind you. Because I think we can do better than 1%. I think as we pursue God, 
We get to experience his devotion and loyalty in our life. We can break the cycle of unfaithfulness in our life. So I want to give you an opportunity. If you just bow your heads with me, and I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to invite the campus pastors to come on up. Would you just bow your heads with me for a second? And maybe just quietly, would you just ask yourself the question, what does loyalty to God look like for you as you turn the page? Father, I thank you that you have preserved this story of a woman who is incredibly strong, Naomi. And this young wife, Ruth, they lost so much in their life. And Lord, we can't put it all together. We don't know why and how. We do know that the cycle of unfaithfulness is real. We face it in our lives. They faced it then. And Lord, I pray that as we come into communion on all of our campuses, those online, wherever they might be, I pray, Father, that you would help us as we begin this year, thinking about the resolution that you make to us, that you will do great things in our ordinary lives. Help us, Father, to decide today what it looks like, what loyalty looks like to you in our lives. We thank you, Father, that you hear us, that you love us. We thank you that when we cry out to you, you answer, you respond, you're a God of grace, love. So I pray, Lord, for every person in each one of our campuses, Lord, as we encounter you today, that we would make this resolution as we have this communion. We thank you in Jesus' name. And the church said, amen.